Meanwhile. राधाकुंडम गिरीवरम महो राधिकमधावशम प्राप्त प्रतीत्मृपाया श्री गुरु तम नस्वी जयतंगोर्मंदमतेर्गति मत्सर्वाशपदोजराधमोहन भक्तियापराधल ृपाम्रपानृंदेन्मस्तेचरनारविंदृंदेन्मस्तेचरनारविंदृंदेन्मस्तेचरनारविंदृंदेन्मस्तेचरनारविंद्रीहरी गौर भक्त वृंद की जय गौर प्रमान हरि हरि बो सो प्रणाम टू ऑल ऑफ यू एंड गुड गुड मॉर्निंग गुड मिड डे हियर फ्रॉम बोनस आयरस स्टिल अ फ्यू मोर डेज बिफोर ट्रैवलिंग टू बोगोटा कोलंबिया ऑन दिस कमिंग ट्यूसडे और नितिनंद त्रियोदशी सो वेलकम टू the tadatmya sangha connected live here in zoom and as well in in facebook and to those who will watch the, the lecture or listen to it later so as usual we are having our weekly meeting gathering and that we started a few weeks ago easter gosti uh, enlightening one another sharing of hearts uh, deeply listening accepting and Uh, entangling one another, so to say, in sangha. Sadhu sangha is its own entanglement, so to say. We will sometimes speak about not being entangled, but there's ultimately no problem with entanglement if we know how to how to engage with it. So that's that's what we are trying to do here to to become interwoven into the fabric. of our very existence in the context of sangha which as we always say and we always repeat sangha means sadhu sangha sat sangha basically means attachment to honesty sat has to do with that which is true and real and sangha can be translated as attachment so sadhu sangha the implication of sadhu sangha is let's get together so we we inspire one another a further attachment to honesty mm -hmm. because at the end of the day that's that's what counts not so much how impeccable spotless so called perfect we may be in whatever we may be doing but how much honesty is invested there mm -hmm. that's the actual perfection mm -hmm. honesty is perfection and not so much 
the internal presentation of the heart. Hmm? That's the honesty, that's the perfection, not so much whatever outer packaging hmm, we may deliver our presentation through. Hmm? So that's it. You are all invited to share if you have any questions today in, in, the, in the context of, again, how we can present those questions from an honest place and try to address them from hopefully an equally honest place and allow the combination of honesty create its own result. Mm -hmm. So, so Nam Dharma Prabhu is raising his hand. So yes, please, Nam Dharma Prabhu, you can unmute yourself and we can receive your contribution to the cause. Ram's Maharaj, thank you. Um, so I've been thinking about um, instructions and commitments made at the time of initiation mm -hmm. with regards to rounds chanted and um, other more, you know, personalized um, guidance. And mm -hmm. um, and I know some my understanding is that some flexibility around commitment of chanting is okay if we're depleted. I would say my own psychology is one to make sure I'm doing those rounds. Mm -hmm. um, um, and if not more, um, but also at times, maybe to my own detriment where just sitting on the couch and looking at the window and, and uh, may have um, a different quality of benefit and uh, through rest and integration. Um, so curious about your thoughts on that, but more perhaps importantly, the, that the instructions were given individually um, at the time of initi initiation, if we are, um, you know, it's that thing. It's like sometimes a instruction is given in time and place, but then things shift and we're following an old instruction that, you know, is 15 years old or something at that point and isn't necessarily as um, relevant or its meaning and application may change. And so how does one, you know, navigate that, especially if that relationship has been um, altered uh, or compromised in some way? Mm. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's it. I would say utterly important question. Somehow we touched upon that in some of the previous sister goshtis, and and it has been a topic on my own mind recently. And I have been talking with some local friends as well in the connection to it, specifically what you ask about how to deal with the principle of vows uh, or promises or commitments, however you may like to frame them, in in, in connection to something we have. Uh, proclaimed, so to say, at certain time of our life, and we may find ourselves in very different places after, what to speak, lots of many decades, but a few years even after that. And I, I think it's good to begin to answer to this question to, to remind ourselves, because you mentioned at the time of initiation, no, we promises this and that. No? So we have this expression at the time of initiation, also, it's important to remind ourselves that initiation is a process. Mm -hmm. So initiation is not something that happens once and for all, one day, but it's an ongoing unfolding of the implications of the mantra we receive in initiation. So to say initiation itself, the word initiation means you are initiating something. We are starting something. It's not like it's finished. <laughs> At the time of initiation, it's finished. So my point with this is, 
if initiation is a process and we uh, commit ourselves to certain things, quote unquote, at the time of initiation, <laughs> but if the actual time of initiation is an ongoing process, <laughs> then our commitments at any particular time uh, are to be adjusted or revised at any other particular time at the time of initiation. Because again, at the time of initiation is not 30 years ago, July 27, whatever, that particular day. That's, yeah, that's the time of initiation, but initiation, again, continues to unfold, continues to remain a process, and therefore, uh, still we are in the process of initiation. So I, I think it's way healthier in relation to your question and in so many other aspects to conceive not only initiation, <laughs> but everything, if you will, as a process, not so much like a, because many times we are very narrow-minded sometimes and we just used to think of things as a, like reaching someplace, doing something, it's over, one act performance, one ultimate arrival point, and nothing else is going on. Something, not so much in an unfolding, ongoing process-like uh, experiences. Mm -hmm. Like for example, we sometimes today I was thinking and writing a little bit in connection to my next book, the idea of perfection. No? And we generally, many of us, we hear the word perfection again, like with any words, we have so many ideas. And we hear perfection and we may feel that's a maximum, uh, fixed maximum, that's perfection. To reach a fixed maximum. That's, that can be our idea of perfection, but that's not the only idea of perfection. No, Fixed maximum? No. There's an ongoing maximum, ever unfolding, ever evolving. But sometimes we may conceive perfection as that, or we can conceive of surrender as that. You are surrendered or you are not surrendered. I surrender today. Or you can, we can think of initiation as that. Like... Again, I always like to quote Chaitanya Charitamrita. There it is say, Diksha Kale, Bhakta Kale, Atma Samarpana. So it says, Diksha Kale, it starts with this famous expression, at the time of initiation, Diksha Kale. And that, then it explains what happens at the time of initiation. It says, Bhakta Kale, Atma Samarpana. At that moment, at that time of initiation, one, the devotee makes of himself, of his own Atma, a complete offering to Bhagavan. So the question then is, did I got initiated yet? Am I initiated? <laughs> did I make a, my, of myself a complete offering to Bhagavan? Is that ever possible? Or I can always make myself a more complete offering to Bhagavan? And in that sense, you can say, initiation never stops. The time of initiation is forever, is always. <laughs> Sometimes Samacharyas will say, uh, when Krishna plays his flute in the lila, and you hear the flute, that's another layer of initiation. Because sometimes in initiation, we receive certain mantras, and that mantras are gayatris, are like extended versions of Krishna's flute playing. So sometimes it is described in this way. Like hearing Krishna's flute means another, let's say another layer of diksha. And that happens in the Leela. And when you are in the Leela hearing Krishna's flute, you are not hearing Krishna's flute only once, but probably every single day. And probably every single day you hear the flute, it's never the same. So you are always receiving an, an upgraded version of Diksha. 
on a daily basis for eternity. <laughs> Sorry to unpack this point so much, but I want to make clear that initiation is a process. That's my main point to, to create like a proper foundation to your question, which has to do with vows, commitments taken or promises made at the time of initiation. So again, we have to, with these ideas in place, we can rethink what do we mean every time we say at the time of initiation, like if some past, again, event that happened one time, one day in a lifetime. No, as an ongoing process. Initiation is an ongoing process, and therefore I may have made some vows and commitments at, at some point, but in time life changes and I may need to adjust them. And when I say adjust, I'm not saying necessarily, I don't know, diminish the quantity of what I'm doing. Sometimes it's keeping the number, but adjusting the bow in terms of going deep into the quality of the quantity. Sometimes I may want to increase the quality or the quantity, sorry. Whatever we are doing, I'm talking about, for example, the chanting of the rounds that we talked about that the other day. But that's not the only thing we, we, we may need to adjust. Or sometimes we may need to diminish whatever, one thing or the other. And and there should be place for this. There should be place for for an how to say for a more flexible, as you yourself mentioned in your question, a more flexible conception of what it means to follow a bow. Because we may commit ourselves to something, and not only to something, but to something from a certain place of understanding or to something from a certain place of experience, whatever, whatever you may want to put into that line of commitment. But we change so much, life changes so much. You no, know? like, again, to give an example, some people may get married and when they're getting married, they're really getting married from a place of, we'll be together for eternity and you are my better half and you are God sent. And maybe after two years, they are like, I mean, with judge in between and denouncing one another. And so, I mean, I'm going to a little extreme here, but that happens. So something happened in between and they need to adjust their vows. And now the vows will take the, the form of divorce, so to say. <laughs> and in some cases that's that's necessary. I've been talking with some Vaishnavi recently who, who went through something like that. You no, know, her ex-husband was quite violent and started to beat her and, and, and suddenly he became a different person from the one she thought he was. And she realized at some point the healthiest thing here for me is to to, to sign the divorce here, no? With all that it takes. Although it was not my initial plan, no? <laughs> or the same if you if you connect with the guru uh, and eventually that guru stops behaving as such or as you expected you may need to take a distance from that person. This happens also. So, and I think in general in our community, again, there are cases, but many times we we are a little bit rigid in the, in this connection. We sometimes conceive bows in very like uh, monochromatic way. No, like I promise I commit to do, do, do this, this, this. And, and now I have to keep doing this till I die. And, and that's the success of my bow, something like that. And if I stop doing it or do it less, I'm breaking the bow. And, and that's it. It's like a, like some type of mathematical formula, which entails sometimes the implication of 
if I if I manage to not break my vows, which sometimes that's the way the place from some of us follow some vows. I follow the vow not to break it. <laughs> some something like that. The main concern is not to break the vow than following the vow. And sometimes the concern is more by not following, Krishna is forced to grant me perfection. Something like this. Because I was told that if I've never transgressed this particular number, then this will happen. No? So it makes it something completely mathematical, basically. No? Like you give Krishna the number and he has to give you the blessing. Doesn't care what's your inner attitude. It's not a matter of mercy. It all depends on your effort to keep the number. And God is forced to give you everything. Without caring what's your actual inner attitude and desire and motivation. So we are creating a very sur surreal Krishna in that case. That's not Krishna. <laughs> and again, I repeat again, like I did in my previous lecture, by saying this, I'm not promoting break all your commitments and become like a no, completely whatever. Rebel without a cause person. Rupa Goswami is preventing that. He's preventing in both directions, as you know, with the word Niyamagraha. In the second verse of Upadeshambrita, he's saying two meanings of Niyamagraha, and the two are equally applicable, and the two are equally potential. Potentially, uh, we can potentially fall into them. Niyamagraha means you are following rules, or you commit to things, you promise things, without knowing what you are doing. Or you can say, there are levels of doing that. You can commit to say yourself to say, okay, I commit myself to be a vegetarian. But actually you do, you understand what does it, does, does it mean on some level, but on some level you don't know what you are doing because the actual vow is not to be a vegetarian, as we explain always, is to be as kind and loving as you can. So on one level, we may be indulging in Yamagraha while following some vows from another level of understanding them. Yeah, I want to be vegetarian, I want to be compassionate to animals, but still we may be missing the actual gist of the of the vow is to extend that love and compassion to everyone. Now, any other thing? So my point with this is one meaning of Niyamagraha is we follow things without understanding them or without having the proper motivation to follow them. That's another way of putting it. Again, I'm following these vows because my main concern is to break them. And if I break them, what? No, I don't know. Every person will have their own reply to that question. If I break a vow and the devotees come to know about that, I will be uh, whatever, ostracized from my tribe. Uh, I will be uh, disliked. I will. My guru will stop loving me. I mean, so many ideas we may have. And hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully if someone for whatever reason, breaks one bow without even the intention, let's put it like that, uh, Guru and Vaishnav still increase their affection and shelter and support. <laughs> no, because if I tell you I love you as, as, as long as you keep all your bows in place, that's very conditional. That's not unconditional love. Unconditional, unconditional love is I love you and I support you and I'm with you. Remain sincere and even if you have some you lose some battle in the whole war. That's not it. That's not it. It's okay. We continue. I love you. No, you don't deserve my love by being perfect. 
something like that. No, it doesn't work like that. But sometimes we operate from that mythical platform. No? I will deserve Gurudev's love. I will deserve Krishna's love by being perfect or at least by faking perfection. At least to attain numerical perfection, as we say. No? <laughs> no, I cannot attain essential internal perfection. I'm a mess, I must confess. But at least let me attain the perfection of a number uh, so I can win over their affection, which again, still entails some misunderstanding because unconditional love is already there, even with you failing every level. So I think, again, this foundation of understanding how unconditional love we already are can potentially free us from so much trauma and, 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 and misconceptions and guilt trips and so much wasted energy. So so there is place. There is place. I've been talking with a friend recently who, who had taken different vows in Gaudi Vaishnavism uh, even before I did. Uh, and recently he had to modify some of them, let's say. I don't like to use the word break because sometimes the word break doesn't necessarily apply to the specific situation. No, like like we like again the example I gave you a few times. <clears throat> um, I don't know. Uh, this this Prabhupada disciple, she was chanting her sixteen rounds. She became pregnant. She was not able to finish that number. Technically speaking, she broke her vow <laughs> at the time of initiation. But Prabhupada, when she he came to know the situation, he totally said, "Oh no, now your kid, your baby's your rounds." So he never said. You broke your promise to me. You, know? you whatever. <laughs> no? So again, I'm not given saying this to to indulge overindulge in laziness and deceptiveness, but I don't know. I don't know. So I, I know so many sannyasis who no longer are sannyasis. <laughs> no, a lot. <laughs> As you know, that that's the that's the what the research shows, no, mostly from those who accept sannyas, probably five to ten percent will continue uh, the bow, continuing in, naturally embracing the bow. But I wouldn't say that all of them broke their bows. No, I, I don't. I, I I personally choose not to go in that direction. Of course, some of them did that from a very deceptive place, and I can say they broke their bows. But in many cases, I know cases where they were utterly sincere about. I accepted that bow when I was, whatever, 25, and I was really sincere in whatever I could see at that time, in my desire to please my guru and my desire to serve. I thought I will, I will be able to keep, to sustain this lifestyle, but I must acknowledge I was pretty naive, and I was pretty this and that, and, and the time passed, and I realized, oh my gosh, I cannot keep this bow. And I don't want to cheat myself nor others by making a show of being a sannyasi and, and, and behind curtains, who knows what. So I prefer to be utterly honest and leave this order, which I accepted with all the sincerity I had at that moment. And with all the sincerity I have at this moment, I'm leaving it. <laughs> so provided you are acting with all the sincerity you have at whatever moment you are, I wouldn't call that breaking vows. That's my point. Because you are keeping the utmost bow, which is remain honest, remain sincere. I, I think that's a top, that's a higher bow 
and whether you remain as a monk or not, whether you do this or not. For some reasons, you can con you can continue doing things for the wrong reasons, and you can stop doing things for the right reasons, as I'm mentioning now. Mm -hmm. You follow my point. Some people may continue as a sannyasi to continue with the example from the wrong place. They shouldn't continue. That's not their nature. They are not using, embracing that order from a humble place, whatever may be happening, but they continue. So externally, we may say, he never broke the vow. He, kept, he kept his sannyas ashram, but what happened in between? There was chaos and dysfunction and abuse, so many things. That can happen. To give an example, and some other person from a very humble, sincere place may be acknowledging this is too much. As you mentioned, Namdharma, due to life circumstance, Desha Kalapatra, and that was something that Srila Prabhupada invoked so many times, and that's invoked many times also in, <clears throat> in the Bhagavatam. Desha Kalabibhagavit, Bhishma Dev is called Desha Kalabibhagavit. He's a knower of how to discern Bibhag between time, place, and circumstance. And that's one of the uh, typical attributes of a of a sadhu or, or for, of a devotee, of an honest person. No, like you are discerning like where I am now at present, no, discerning your adhikar, what I'm capable of, what I'm not capable of today. No, tomorrow it will be different. <laughs> next week and next year. Things that at, at, maybe temporarily some of us may need to decompress on some things, so to say. And in time we will embrace those very things with another strength. I mean, life is not like like a linear journey, like goes always like shh. No, it's more akin to a to a to a journey. No, it's a journey. A journey you never go in in a journey like this, no. It, it's more like no, I mean it goes up and down and left and right and down. I mean you try to walk into the forest. I mean it's goes so many things happen. Sometimes you have to go up, back to just to gain momentum, run and, and jump. So, so many things can happen. So we have to be careful not to over-idealize how our journey should look like, so to say, like in a perfectly exemplary way without any fall downs, mistake. Like the other day, one, 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 one devotee also asked me, she was having some um, situation with onion, which, to be honest, for me, is not a very complex situation. <laughs> uh, and, and I mentioned to her, like, because she was really suffering because of that. And I say, well, I mean, I don't consider that falling down because she expressed something like that in those terms. And I can understand at a certain stage, we may over-relate or over-react to some things like, oh my gosh, I'm really indulging in the worst Possible crime in history, no? I, 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 the pizza had onion, something like that. <laughs> and I would say, instead of, of of getting neurotic about being fallen because of eating onion, better realize that we are fallen, <laughs> whether we eat onion or not. <laughs> Let's establish that more realistic foundation first. Not so much like I don't want to fall by eating onion. No problem, you are already falling, and. <laughs> I'm not saying no problem, eat more and more onion. I say no problem, you're already falling. And, 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 and despite you're already falling, Krishna's loving you unconditionally. Establish that foundation in place. On that basis, you work on onion stuff and whatever other issues remain to be worked on. 
So, so yeah, I, I, I personally consider that there, we should be learned to be more flexible in, in, in addressing the specifics of any given situation, because if not, again, we indulge into, into forms of Mayavad, into forms of impersonalism. Like we, we do not address each case as uniquely as it is, but we just say, oh, that person did that. That's falling down. That person did that. He broke the bow. She did that, whatever, without investigating the uniqueness and specificity of that unrepeatable situation. Why the person did that? What happened before? What happened from which place? And if we study the particular case, sometimes we will conclude that was the best possible thing you could have done at that precise moment. Now, maybe that will not be the ideal thing for you in eternity, but in this unique chapter of your life, you may need to do that or stop doing that, whatever that is. But many times, again, we we do not take the time to be personalists. <laughs> so we label people and situations quickly and the price for not taking the time, the price for that is impersonalism. So to be impersonal many times means you're not, we are not taking the necessary time to, to understand the particular situation of other people or even sometimes of our own situation. And we judge ourselves uh, in, in, in ways that are not healthy, in ways that are not wholesome, in ways that are not necessary. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes that can happen. So... So I think it's important that we have a more fluid and open conversation about these things. And sometimes some someone has, I don't want to say even some problems, but some particular life circumstance which invites him or her to recalibrate their commitments, let's say. <laughs> uh, that can be done. That can be spoken about without any like fear of retaliation or any fear of rejection or any fear of or being ostracized and shunned and, and condemned, but like to normalize that life happens, so to say. <laughs> and and of course, you, you mentioned at the end, Nam Dharma, that in the case of one being connected to someone as a guru, which at present the connection is not as, let's say, as present or dynamic or active as, as it was, how to what to do with those vows that one has taken with some person in particular. But again, we have to remind ourselves that when we say, I have committed to this and this in front of my guru, let's say, of a guru, guru is always a representative of God. Mm -hmm. So guru is acting as a guru in representation of God. This is a service in representation of God. So if any particular agent or representative for whatever reason is is not present in our lives, so we cannot share these situations with him or her. Uh, well, we should, A, we, we can find some other person in our lives that we feel is representing God's will for us. And that's a continuation of, of what we receive of our original guru, so to say. Again, it's all different agents representing the same agency. Or ultimately, we can also, again, God is in our heart. He knows everything about us, so we can have that dialogue, inner dialogue with him. That's also possible. We, 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 we shouldn't cancel that also. 
So there, there, there can be situations where the best thing you can do is just have an honest, true, sincere conversation, inner dialogue with, with Bhagavan and present your situation, present your, your whatever, shortcomings or doubts, whatever we may have, and try to hear deeply in prayer, see if any inspiration comes. Of course, allow some time for the answers to reveal, but but I will say that's not uh, less bona fide <laughs> than, than to speak directly to to who 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 is one's guru, so to say, who was one's guru. There are, again, circumstances, life happens, and external presentation may change, but the substance of the connection is still there if we want that to happen, if we are sincere about that. So, and and, and again, the, the process of initiation continues in that sense, in one way or another. That's why, as, as I mentioned in my book on radical personalism, there are many sections in the Bhagavatam with, where Krishna himself is emphasized as the supreme guru of all gurus. No, like, like there is place for to connect with him as such, in, in, especially in some specific circumstances. So, yeah. So those are some thoughts that are coming to, to my mind. And yeah, but yeah, I, I agree that I, I feel that we, we need to to go deeper into how we conceive the vows. As I like to say many times, I mean, how not only, it's not about breaking or not breaking, leaving or not leaving, but renewing the vows. Again, you are married with someone, you, you, you establish some vows on the day of your marriage, but in order for the marriage to, to continue as such, <laughs> it has to renew itself constantly. The relationship has to be updated, upgraded. You cannot just keep your marriage with the same mentality and attitude you had on day one. That's not possible. <laughs> so this is the same. Initiation is a type of marriage. And, and, and we have to update the connection, the relationship with Guru, with Bhagavan. Uh, and sometimes for that to happen, we may have to adjust some things. Again, in the beginning of the marriage, we did things from some place, sometimes more idealistic, sometimes more narrow-minded, more naive, more fanatical, sincere, loving, but with lack of maturity in time, we may, how to say, externally it may seem, in some cases, I'm not saying everyone will do that, but in some cases in time, as we mature, externally some sometimes in some cases we may stop we may do less of some things in order to do that from a more deep place. That can happen. That can happen. It's not, again, this is not like a, a, a run running competition about doing more and more and more and more and more and more in, in, in terms of number. There is productivity, as I like to say, in a spiritual life, but it's also restoration. So there are activities which promote productivity, Mm -hmm. numbers, <laughs> and there are activities which promote restoration. Both are equally important and complementary. So, yeah, depending each stage in one life, some may might have more place than others. Uh, as long as we are introspective and sincere about remaining honest to what the present situation demands, there should be place for conversation and adjustment of these things. Again, that, that's my my main point. And, and if, if one has a guru and can have conversation with him or her, ideally, 
ideally, again, that's my perspective, but there should be place to talk with the guru and, and, and for him or her to understand that these things happen in life and there may be place for adjusting and changing and, and, and accompanying in that way the disciple in, in his and her journey, this unique journey of that, in that particular chapter. Yeah. I hope that helps, Nandarma. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Hopefully, we can continue talking about that more often because that's again, I, I think, a topic that requires so many layers of, yeah, unpacking and unfolding. But yeah, we have to begin somewhere. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> so, Dr. is raising her hand. So. So it's. In continuation with um, what you're discussing now is, you know, going back to what you said about um, at the time of initiation, the devotee offers himself completely in completeness. So in, in that same evolutionary kind of um, embrace, we can also see that completeness, you know, also evolves and we could have offered ourselves completely, but that completeness was was limited. And, and the shape of that completeness will change over time. And I, I think that that's kind of what you speak of when you talk about remaining honest, is to always, you know, expand into the completeness that we have the capacity to have at that moment. And to to not hold back from being complete, even though that completeness compared to another time is going to look different with yeah. ourselves and between other people. So it's, it's kind of like, yeah, the completeness kind of thing kind of harmonizes it. As long as we are pushing into embracing our completeness of the moment, then we're not kind of cheating the system and it's going to look different at, at each at each moment really yeah 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 and i think again it's it's so important in, in this context that we another important theme that i personally feel passionate about in, in terms of introducing it more and more in our thinking and conception is this idea of uh, an ongoing evolution of things, no? Like love is growing, love is complete, but it becomes more complete, love is perfect, and it becomes can further perfect itself. The same with Krishna, who is made of love. <laughs> In one sense, he's changeless, and he's always Krishna, and he doesn't change, he doesn't become John Smith or something. <laughs> no, he's eternally perfect, complete, but that doesn't mean that, again, it's a fixed maximum. It's a point of closure. But on the contrary, uh, perfection can always attain uh, further peaks of perfection, we could say. Because, again, it's all about how we conceive the concept, as I mentioned in radical personalism, sambanda. Sambanda means to receive a conceptual orientation, what is what, but also to teach us how to think about things. So we hear perfection, we hear completeness, purnam, but what's what's perfection? What's the ultimate completeness? No? For example, in terms of God, what's a, what's what's a, constitutes the greater perfection? 
non-changing entity with always the same, perfect in the same spot, so to say, or a God that is growing and continuing to evolve in the context of, of loving interaction. Entonces, in, in this way, uh, yeah, Rupa Goswami uses this word. No, I like this expression that he, he invokes in, in, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. He says, Purna, Purnatara, and Purnatama. Referring to Krishna in different places, in this case, or in different experiences of love, we could say. that's Those are the places, Dwarka, Mathura, and Vrindavan. So he says, Krishna is complete, Purna, in Dwarka. He's more complete, Purnatara, in Mathura. And he's most complete, Purnatama, in Vrindavan. So the word complete is always there. That's the point. <laughs> he is complete. No, completeness is there, but there is a possibility of further completeness on the foundation of completeness, which again is paradoxical to the way we used to think about things in a logical way. And that's why scriptures repeatedly say things like Tarka Pratishtana, watch out for the pitfall of uh, logic, so to say. Don't try to ascertain everything through Mathematics, so to say, through your logic, through your brain. Tarko Apertishna basically means through logic, you end up nowhere. <laughs> of course, I'm not promoting here be illogical, but just uh, accept. Let's accept. Let's 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 feel comfortable with paradox. Let's learn to coexist with the paradoxical. Let's enter into more mystical way of ascertaining reality where apparent contradictions are reconciled in a higher equation. In, in, in Latin, in Christianity, they will say, God is coincidentia oppositorum, which means the coincidence of opposites. Whatever seems to be opposite is coinciding in him. Somehow or other, he's able to coexist with being perfect and being able to be more perfect, be complete. <laughs> and attain further layers of completeness. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think that's an, a, that's an important point because that affects everything. Mm -hmm. if, 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 if God is such, if love is such, then our potential in love with God is such. Mm -hmm. and, and whatever happens in reality, if even this material creation, as the scriptures say, is somehow an outcome of God's bliss and, and, and the overflowing of that, somehow also we can find that same template in the DNA of matter, so somehow or other. So I think it's important that we learn, we somehow enter more and more into this evolutionary way of thinking of things more in terms of a process, ongoing processes, in term, in, instead of like one act performances. I was initiated, I surrendered, I whatever, attained the spiritual world. No, the movie doesn't end there, no, actually. There's always further and further. There are so many sections in Shastra that speak about that. Newer and newer layers of experience at every moment. Mm -hmm. But of course, we will never enter that world if you don't get accustomed to see reality as such here and now. So. And, and and we have to put into in the on the scale, uh, 
the problems that will come by not thinking like that as well. Uh, what if I don't think, if I don't conceive my spiritual journey as an ongoing process, mm -hmm. just in terms of going from point A to point B, so to say. <laughs> the ultimate arrival destiny in Golok Brindal, like some sort of airport thing, no? So the, the plane landed on in heaven, no? You are assigned your eternal cloud, and that's it. <laughs> but that's not the spiritual world, at least not for us. No, it's a very moving thing. We we are after a moving eternity, a moving transcendence, something that is on the move. And of course, that creates this all this may be unconscious, but this may create lots of uh, fear for us because we may think of oh, things are moving, things are like fickle. No, so they are not stable. They are not predictable. No? So it's of course it's out of my control. That that that's the ultimate point that sometimes create uh, potential neurosis. If I'm tell, telling you they, reality is dynamic, reality is changing, reality is, is noble, <laughs> reality is creative, constantly, eternally, instead of Reality is static, predictable, secure, stable, unchanging. No? Pay attention to what happens inside of you when you hear this different set of words, because we have to, to put ourselves to test in that connection. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we don't misread Krishna consciousness, basically. We are not here for something that it is not, so to say. No, we don't want to cheat ourselves thinking I'm here for Krishna, for love of Krishna, for eternal service in the spiritual world. But we conceive all of that as static, unchanging, predictable, controllable. That's not what it is. So if, if we want something, we have to be very clear about the nature of the things we say we want. And when we really learn what, what's that about, let's see where, where, what, what we decide, <laughs> so to say. And hopefully we still decide that because especially because it is dynamic and ever evolving and ever new, that's what makes that reality especially charming. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you agree with me. For me, that's common sense. If I'm being thrown into eternal transcendence where there's no change, everything is static, unpredictable, that doesn't sound too nice for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to feel suffocated just by by, by hearing the the, the idea. No? <laughs> so so yeah, that's why surrender is an ongoing process and initiation is an ongoing process because everything is an ongoing process. <laughs> and surrender is the way we relate to everything, which is an ongoing process. Therefore, surrender has to be an ongoing process. If God is an ever-evolving reality, then my approach to an ever-evolving reality has to be ever-evolving. I mean, it's basically that. So, yeah, I think it's 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 way healthier to conceive reality and stages in practice and everything as evolving and moving. Uh, so we can, how to say, address each of those things for what they are at any given moment, instead of just projecting one like official ideal perfect template and whatever doesn't fit into that, it's sin, it's offense, it's a falling down, 
you are not up to the mark yet, whatever, so on and so forth. And instead be more realistic, more personalistic, more unique and conceive each particular chapter for what it is in the context of an ongoing process of further unfolding. <laughs> you follow my point? Because if not, I mean, even if you have prem, let's say you have divine love and you can torture yourself just thinking, well, but I know that in the ever-evolving nature of divine love, the prem that I have now is nothing in comparison to the prem that I will have in the next moment. Uh, what's the meaning of that? I mean, you will just torture yourself, cancel your present experience because you know it can always be better in the future. I mean, do you think that's how life is supposed to be lived? <laughs> but I know people who lives like that or, or who has the tendency to go there instead of being in the present, appreciating the gift of the present and embracing the challenges of the present as, as, as one point in an ever unfolding symphony, they are just like judging themselves because they are not up to the mark yet. They know they could do better and they are not doing, and, and, and they put this like, they compare themselves with this ultra idealistic superhero-like template that it's never enough. And that's a recipe for, Frustration, depression, so many things. So, yeah, let's make the journey more sustainable. Krishna says in the Gita, Susu Kam Kartum, Bhakti is supposed to be executed with joy. <laughs> so let's honor those words, somehow or other. Somehow or other. So I think, yeah, to keep in mind this notion of ongoing processes permanently unfolding, even in eternity, not only now, it's way more realistic and way more sustainable and we're more exciting for me, more, way more full of surprise and wonder and amazement and unpredictability than just, you are supposed to be here and you are not yet there, so still you are in the considered falling down, but whenever you reach there, you are legal. That's, that's not a very charming way for me of describing the journey. So, yeah. <clears throat> Anyhow, I'm writing on that. So you touch upon a point that I, you triggered lots of things. I can continue talking on that. But a few words on your reflections, Bhaktirasa. Thank you for that. So what else? You have, you have Jamuna raising her hand. Hare Krishna. Just a quick thing on that point that you just brought up about um, we might be, you know, needing to accept where we are and where and being peaceful with that and honoring that space and the experience that we have in our spiritual life and being present in the moment. Um, as individuals, we may have that ourselves but then others might not like that we are where we're at and we're peaceful where we're at and we're able to um, embrace that moment. Other people may be um, badgering or criticizing for you being where you're at, even though you may be peaceful in that situation. Does that make sense? I mean, it what doesn't make say? sense at all, but yeah, I, I get your idea. <laughs> <laughs> okay because then that can create a lot of guilt a lot yeah. of shame a lot of unhealthy feelings within within the practitioner 
mm-hmm. because of yeah. other people's judgments. Yeah, yeah. Again, I un- totally understand the point. What I say doesn't make any sense is that people feel uncomfortable with other people's art and and, and and you are supposed to feel guilt because of that. And you have to change. You, you cannot feel comfortable where you are because that's making me uncomfortable. So please be uncomfortable. So I, I'm comfortable. Uh, that's what I mean. It, may, it doesn't make any sense. Though, unfortunately, we've, we fall into that so many times. <laughs> so, so yeah, I will say it's, if we feel, of course, when I say we feel comfortable at peace where we are, it's it's also not a an invitation for laziness. Not like, okay, I'm there, I'm peaceful here, and I won't change, and I'll remain here forever. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying also don't go to the other extreme of the neurosis that I just described. Like, it can always be better. I know I haven't reached the perfection yet. I'm not saying that either. So there is place to to appreciate where where you are as a gift of grace, uh, and 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 to look forward to all that can happen from that on. I'm not canceling our future potential for sure, but we have to first also acknowledge whatever is coming to us on the present moment, because we can only reach our future potential by acknowledging the present moment, whatever is coming to us as present will transform into the future, so to say. So so if some person, again, and I'm talking in general here, probably you're having some situation in your mind more specific, but I'm talking just in general. If we feel in it from a genuine place, grounded and inspired and sheltered and happy and peaceful in our present stage and, and in the, with a dynamic spirit of continuing to grow and someone else feels uncomfortable for that, of course, then that person has a question to to make to himself or to herself, like why I'm feeling uncomfortable, why this person's peace makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> why her inspiration and, and, and groundedness and whatever is disturbing me. I mean, I have a problem, not her. <laughs> so, and if, if that person is not willing to, to make him or herself the question and just insists on, on making it clear how disturbed he, she is and how you should stop feeling comfortable, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound like a very healthy relationship, basically. It doesn't sound like a very... There's no place for talking about it and, and, and not, or no openness from the from the person to acknowledge uh, that he or she has to change that particular mindset. It doesn't seem like a... It, does, it seems like a toxic uh, scenario, basically, because the only way it will work and it will not work is... Okay, I have to be unhappy so you are comfortable. I have to be disturbed so so you are at peace. So what's the end of that? And I know there are so many relationships like that. No? In order to appease my husband or my guru or my wife or my son, whomever, okay, I have to be this because that seems to be the thing that they like. But if that thing is something that goes against my integrity and authenticity then that shouldn't be happening i i shouldn't subject myself to that that's not an act of compassion to the other person so to say no so 
again, I'm giving a general answer. I don't want to to sound like I'm I'm telling people what to do in, in, in any given similar situation because every situation has its own details. But in general, I will say, I mean, we should be happy when someone is happy. We should be peaceful when someone is peaceful. If someone is peaceful and I'm not peaceful, well, their peacefulness hopefully gives me some peace. <laughs> now, if I'm honestly appreciating that, it's not that I will become like envious. Why are at peace? I'm not at peace. I want you to stop being at peace so we are on an equal footing. No, hopefully the equal footing is we are both at peace. It's a win-win scenario. So if I'm not at peace and you are at peace, I will try to allow your peacefulness to, to inspire me to be at peace. And if I'm not able to do that, I will approach you and tell you, I'm not able to do that. Help me. <laughs> Instead of you go down to my level and be as disturbed as I am, so, so I'm at peace. That's not peace. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's not balance, harmony, equilibrium. That's not loving. So, so yeah, I, I know that sometimes these things happen. And sometimes also they are tied to... It has nothing to do with us being at peace. In many times it has to do with people having their own ideals challenged, so to say. Well, like, for example, let's give an example. Um, I don't know. One may be part of a certain group. Let's, let's give an example. A certain Bajanov group. And there is some, uh, I don't know, some deviation happening in certain circle of that group. And one acknowledges that deviation and takes a distance from that. But some other people do not want to see the deviation and just continue to continue there without seeing that and even like promoting the person who is deviating. So the person who sees the deviation and takes a distance maybe will be like criticized and pointed at like do do do. And they will be thinking, oh, you're such a bad person because you went off our tribe and you are so bad that probably you will become so deviated yourself and so disturbed and so many bad things will happen to you. And now in time, nothing of that happens to that person that took the distance. So the rest of the group, they are shaking in their convictions because they were thinking like, I mean, you are the wrong one. So because you are the wrong one, so many things wrong things have to happen to you. No, no, none of them are happening, but we don't want to think we are the wrong ones. So so somehow we have to accommodate accommodate this. And the only way is like, you should be disturbed. Or even they will conclude, you should be so disturbed and that's not happening. And that shows how bad you are. Because you did so many bad things. And even you did so many bad things, you are not, still you are not disturbed. That shows how miserable and rascal you are. That even confirms more how miserable. So they will start to justify that from that place. You follow my point? <laughs> because, because your your living example of being at peace is a challenge to them. It's a challenge to their own convictions and to their own probably compromises in their in their own situation. So they need to somehow silent your situation by in their own minds at least. It's not that you're doing anything wrong, but in their own minds, you are a threat because your own example is telling to them without you telling any word, but showing to them about their wrongness, so to say, about their own compromise. But if you don't want to see that, if you don't want to accept your own uh, 
lack of authenticity and honesty, of course, whatever is triggering that you in your environment, you will try to cancel that quickly because we are not willing to see it. So at the end, it speaks about the lack of honesty from, from those type of people. Because if you are honest and you are willing to acknowledge how things are, okay, if you are at peace and someone is at, at peace or inspired, someone may think you shouldn't be inspired with people outside of my group or my mission. Oh, but you are inspired. You shouldn't be inspired. You should be disturbed because you're doing something wrong. And it's like, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm inspired for the right reason. So your inspiration creates a challenge. How can someone be inspired outside of my tribe? I was told it was not correct. It, it cannot happen. And now I'm, 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 I'm starting to realize that it can happen, but it's dangerous because I have been indoctrinated with this other idea. So you, one experiences this like clashing. And many of us may need to go through those crises to, <laughs> to integrate and grow and mature. So, but yeah, we have to grow to the point of people can be at peace and inspire in so many different ways than the ones we are inspired at, at peace also. That, that's another point, no? Even in eternity, again, we will find so many devotees finding their ultimate satisfaction, so to say, in different ways of serving Bhagavan and so on. And, and we have to be okay with that. We cannot go to Ayodhya and let's try to disturb all these devotees of Ram because they are fully at peace worshiping Ram and not Krishna and Brindal. And we have to disturb them because their satisfaction is disturbing me. <laughs> That's not the example given by Gopa Kumar in, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita. On the contrary, he was inspired by their inspiration. So that's the ideal of, of, of Sadhu Sangha, as I'll always say. No? It's the ideal of Sadhu Sangha is if you are genuinely inspired, genuinely at peace, genuinely whatever, that will nourish me. Always. Even if it's totally different from a different stage and perspective and more. If it's genuine, if you are genuine and I'm genuine, I cannot but be nourished. But, but whatever by, by whatever is going through in your life, even if you are suffering for whatever reason, from a genuine place, your suffering will nourish me. <laughs> no. It's not that I need to suffer to be nourished, but I, I mean, I can be happy and peaceful, but if I see your suffering from a genuine place, I will empathize with that and be nourished by your suffering. So when when there is bona fide-ness in the heart, <laughs> whatever happens ends up being nourishing. So if that's not happening, then something else is happening. And that should be spoke, talked about. And if that cannot be talked about, okay, <laughs> then that it that speaks for itself, so to say. Again, if I if I tell you, Jamuna, you are at peace and I cannot tolerate that, I'm totally disturbed by that. Please stop being so much at peace. And you say, Maharaj, what why you say that? Let's talk about it. No, no, I don't want to talk about it. You just have to be. Stop being at peace. That's the solution. I mean, how how much dialogue can you have there? How much of a relationship is there? No, so so we have to yeah to to surround ourselves by. Rupa Goswami says, Sadhu Sangha is snigda, snigdasya, swatabara, snigdasya, swajatya, like-minded people, advanced people. And most especially, affectionate people. 
So affectionate people means you are happy. I'm happy with your happiness. You are at peace. I'm celebrating that with you. That's affectionate. It's not just like a, an external, superficial, sentimental praise to someone just by personal convenience to keep everyone in the comfort zone. No, it's something very deeply based on tadatmya or empathy. No? If I love you, you suffer, I suffer. If I love you, you're happy, I'm happy. If you I love you, you're at peace, I'm at peace. I connect with that. No, we become one in that, so to say. It's not that stop being that so you adjust to me no? or something like that. No? <laughs> stop being so happy, please. I'm becoming uninspired. You are too too ecstatic or whatever. <laughs> Anyhow, some thoughts. I hope that helps, Yamuna. Thanks for the question. There are a few messages in the chat. Oh no, the boat is saying that they have to leave some obligations. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a few minutes if in case there is any. Other question? I'm seeing Karuneshwari raising her hand, so please, you can unmute yourself. Hare Krishna, Maharaj. Um, just following on from the first question tonight, which okay. which also sort of follows on from the question I asked last week. And, you know, last week you said to me, I think you know the answers to that yourself, which you know, is partially, at least partially true, if not fully true, but I needed, you know, to hear more on it. But so I have sort of two things to ask now. Um, okay. so one is, because all of that resonates completely with me, and, you know, you're right saying that I kind of know it, because I was speaking along those lines to people already. But a, a feedback I kept getting was, yes, but this standard has been set by the Acharya, so, so you know, my and so I want to ask you about that because my understanding of that is that you might say yes, but would he say something different now? <laughs> so, mm. but just to address that, and then the other part of the question is um, that whatever vows we followed or followed to whatever extent we followed, they have us where we are now, and then from this place where we are now, we do whatever we can do from our hearts, which is in a lot of ways more real than because we're supposed to. Hmm. That is the question, even though it doesn't sound like that. Can you, can you, well, can you unfold a little bit more the second part of the question, please? Yeah. So, okay, say we committed to chance 16 runs and maybe we did that for some time and maybe we didn't manage it for some time, but whatever amount of runs we did chant, we are who we are today as a result of that. Yeah. And, and so today, whatever I feel inspired, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to like make excuses or be lazy or lethargic, but whatever mm -hmm. my, wherever my inspiration leads me to serve Krishna today, mm -hmm. it's to me more real than doing it because I'm meant to do it. And sometimes I succeeded and sometimes I so-called failed, but I'm the result now of all of, all of that and in one sense it's the past it's not relevant if i followed it or i broke it because now who i am and the krishna consciousness whatever i have i feel mm -hmm. like 
I want mm. to do what I want to do, not because I'm vowed to do it, but because I want to. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Or is that dangerous ground? <laughs> <laughs> so regarding the first part, <clears throat> the question, again, this is my view on this. As you may imagine, there are many opinions regarding one single aspect of our tradition or one single statement by our acharyas and shastras. So I don't want to sound utterly conclusive and here I'm revealing to you the ultimate perfect way of doing everything. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> but it's it's how I personally today, probably this, this ever evolving, you never know in time how we may address these issues. But when we say something like the Acharya, how is the standard has been set by the Acharya? Uh, again, for me, this this doesn't sound, in my personal opinion, again, I'm not criticizing anyone uh, in per specifically or any particular group. I, I'm sure that in any given group, there are individuals and the individuals have their different of, differences of opinion. As someone has been told you, has told you the standard has been set by the Acharya, I'm sure people from that same group will not say that. <laughs> so again, we may say something as representative of a whole mission, but that's still our personal interpretation. <laughs> of course, it feels more authoritative for ourselves to speak as if that's the actual ultimate thing, but doesn't mean it is so. So I personally will will disagree with that <laughs> because what's what's a standard again we, we use it with standard but standards can change also who say that standard is always the same again Prabhupada set standard of 64 rounds first right <laughs> that was the standard set by the acharya then he changed the standard and someone say okay but then he never changed it again okay but who, who says that he could never he will never change it in time and he changed that in a specific cases as the example I gave before. So for me, the idea of standard is something that my opinion, again, my opinion, and I can understand in, in big groups, it's important. You need to keep some things in place. Okay, let's have some rules and standards, ways of doing things because we are so many and, and it's such a big thing and get, it gives some sense of order and structure. I, I can totally relate to that. But also everything has pros and cons. And, and I will say that standards are to be, uh, I will say are to be established on a personal level. I mean, each person has to have their own standard and that standard may change in time as we were talking with non-dharma. That's my, my personal take. I, I can understand the benefits of making it more simplistic and say this, the formula, you, you practice that you're in, you, but the problem is you don't practice that you're out. Uh, and in time, so many things can happen and nuance can happen. So, so the Charya established something, I would say in this case, let's go, Prabhupada establishing 16 rounds. And I, I know how emphatic he was on that number, but also I, I, I really can connect with the time, place, and circumstance situation he was in while emphasizing that in that way. Again, he came with another standard. He adjusted the standard. He saw, okay, this standard is working now. Somehow it's sustainable for most. Let's keep the standard. But he was establishing that according to the particular situation he was in at that time. And what I'm saying this, I'm not saying now, 
now we need to chant two rounds. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying be careful of freezing someone like Srila Prabhupada in time. That's my main point here. Because he said some things, he established some standards, and one very unique time and place and circumstance of the Krishna consciousness movement for a period of a few years. But so many things happened after Prabhupada left. So many things happened in every sense in the movement after Prabhupada left. I will say that he probably may have adjusted some things due to all this that stuff. Not only regarding sannyasis leaving their vows and abuse and divorces and dysfunctions of many types. I wouldn't say that Prabhupada will just repeat, copy, paste like whatever he may have said during the first 12 years. I mean, he was, a, if, if, if I don't agree with this, I'm saying he's not a commonsensical person, basically. I'm saying he's narrow-minded, he's frozen in time, he came with just one formula from day one, but that's not the case. If you study, if, if we study Prabhupada's life <laughs> and how he moved while in U.S., he was experimenting a lot and testing the results of what whatever he was saying and doing <laughs> because he was landing in another planet. Uh, and it's not that after 12 years, he already had the full picture and everything was fully in place. So now the final standard can be established. Nothing was fully in place. You can see what happened after a few years after Prabhupada left, even during his presence. <laughs> so that shows it's not that everything was perfectly established and in harmony and the perfect standard has been attained. Actually, there's no such a thing as perfect standard universally applicable for every single person. For me, the perfect standard is a standard that applies uniquely to each individual according to time, place, and circumstance, and that can therefore change in time. <laughs> that's the perfect standard. <laughs> and someone may say, that's no standard whatsoever, Maharaj, at all. That's the standard. Yeah, there. that's the standard. Like the other day I was reading, what I was reading, a few things. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think it was Encounters with Divinity by Srila Siddharth He was describing, like, for example, when when, when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Salabhai Thakur sent his first disciples to preach into the West, and, and he sent some of them first to Europe. Uh, and, and he was asking Rabindranath Tagore, he was a friend of his at that time, he's famous, of course, a famous writer in India, he was asking, which place do you think it may be better to send my devotees to? And, and he was thinking about sending them to, to England first, and Rabindranath Tagore disagreed, said because the English have this, this pride of having conquered India, so it may not help that much, better to send them to Germany. So my point with this is there's lots of relativity into this. Uh, you may absolutize and say, Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta have a divine revelation to send Bhaktivedai Bonmaras to Germany. No, he asked a friend and he suggested that place. <laughs> and, and it's not that you are making less of Bhaktisiddhanta Satvaitakur by saying that. So in the same way, my point is, Prabhupada comes to the West, he's exploring, he's experiencing, he's experimenting, he's adjusting, he's willing to change things. And he was willing to change things throughout his 12-year experience in the West. It's not that he came... He says 64 rounds, he changed to 16, and nothing else was adjusted ever after. 
No, there was always a constant process of adjustment. And of course, at one point he saw some template seems to be sustainable for these boys and girls. Okay, let's keep it. But if in time uh, the necessity comes, I I'm totally sure he will be flexible and compassionate enough and personalistic enough to, <laughs> to address the situations in a very specific way and make, make the adjustments accordingly. So, so I will say that in connection to the standard has been set by the Acharya. No? For me, things are way more flexible and, and fluid. And not only for me, again, if you if we studied the life of Prabhupada, that's how it works. And of course, I know that's a different topic, but when we say standard has been set by the Acharya, that kind of indirectly frozen the principle of Parampara also. Because Acharya, Acharya means, I mean, an Acharya will give birth to another Acharya and another Acharya and another Acharya. That's how Parampara continues. So every Acharya will establish new standards, if you will, so to say. That's how the spirit of the disciplic succession keeps alive, itself alive. So one Acharya established something, and yet Prabhupada founded ISKCON, but Ideally, the disciples of Prabhupada are to represent Prabhupada's spirit in the dynamic way nowadays. And in that sense, they are Acharyas. Once the word Acharya is not something limited to Prabhupada. And I'm not insulting Prabhupada by saying that. <laughs> Acharyas means someone who teaches by example. Be careful of not making more, of taking the word to a point that it can only apply to Prabhupada as a technical title. He's a founder of ISKCON, that, that's for sure. But he didn't found his own sampradaya. No, he he's not the the the, the only one and last acharya. And nobody else can say anything else apart from him. That's not what Prabhupada talked. That's not parampara. That's not Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So if we play out the implications of an acharya, means technically speaking, every disciple has to be an acharya. That's why Prabhupada say, "I I would like every one of my disciples to be guru." That's another way of saying it. doesn't mean you have to have give initiation to people, but at least be an acharya, teach by example. And teach by example means think for yourself about how to apply the teachings in your particular time, place, and circumstance, and not just parroting, copy pasting without criterion. So again, we have to deconstruct these one-liners that sometimes we repeat them enough. As, as for them to lose all meaning, basically, and just become like imposed dogma. Like, like whenever someone starts to show some symptom of critical think thinking, you bring these one-liners <laughs> to cancel all, all possibility of dialogue. And it's like, that's not Prabhupada. That's not Iskon. That's not Parampara. If you think that's it, that's your choice, and I, I, it's, it's your life, it's your choice, that's not mine. Mm -hmm. So that, that's one thing. <laughs> and in the second part of the question, just to conclude, we were talking about, <clears throat> for example, the chanting, and and we may be chanting certain number, we committed to certain number, we may say, okay, we, we are where we are as a result of that. Uh, if, in case I understood correctly the question, someone might say, okay, whether we, we may chant less or more according to each time and circumstance, we are chanting 16 and where we are, we are where we are because of that. If 
if that's what I understood, if it's correct, I, I wouldn't say that so much. I mean, because it's, or, or, sorry, or, it's yes. not not exactly what I meant. <laughs> I think. Thank you. Yeah, I think sorry. it's hard to explain. I meant more like whatever we did, whether we managed to follow or didn't manage to follow, that the more important thing is that wherever we are now, we do yeah. what we do voluntarily yeah. from our hearts rather than because we're meant to. Okay. Yeah. So my reply to that is yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry. So so I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We we are where we are. We have to assess our present situation again as the Bhagavatam says to ascertain your adhikar, to ascertain your present day capabilities or incapabilities and act accordingly with coherence. That's real beauty, says the Bhagavatam. That's an interesting way of putting it. Now, what's beauty? To be coherent about what you can and you can't do today and act in a realistic way according to that, honoring that. And uh, and again, as you mentioned, Karuneshwari choosing to voluntarily again engage in bhakti, whatever we do, you know, make do it voluntarily, full-hearted, invest your heart, yourself. Bhakti is very much about intention. It's very intentional. So that's very important. Intentional sometimes is taken as something negative, you know, like that was intentional, you know, like you had bad intention, but you you apply that positively also. You know? It's intentional. Bhakti is intentional. Krishna is intentional. He, he's taking Babagrahi Janardana. He's taking our intention. He's intentional. So, so yeah, let's let's try to concentrate in into whatever. If we decide to serve Krishna, to have a spiritual life, to develop our relationship with with Him, yeah, let's try to 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 employ our discernment to 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 carry our lives in a way that fosters that in the best possible way. That's for me the essence of it regarding vows and and, and commitments. I, I will say that the the verse that comes to my mind the most in this connection is the famous line what is smart of yasa to tam bishnur bishman to bhyanachya to chit sarva vidhi viseda sur etayori bakinkara always think of krishna never forget krishna all the rules and regulations from shastra all vows commitment promises are to serve that principle in other words Whatever helps you to be more focused, more aligned, more connected with the divine, whatever it is, whatever, then do it. Whatever is getting in the way, then don't do it. That's kind of the criterion. And and the whatever may change in time. That's my point. Whatever today is helping me, at one point it will suffocate me or vice versa. <laughs> so we have to remain sensible and open-hearted and minded to catch that and, and, and to pay attention to how we feel to, to to connect with our feelings also and emotions and our gut so to say and proceed accordingly so yeah okay thank you Karuneshwari and Bhaktaras is still raising her hand some question comment yes it's a, regarding what Karuneshwari was asked also um, kind of a part of her question which didn't make it to the surface really. At one point, I'm gonna just 
put you on the spot there, is um, she had just kind of under her breath mentioned, is this dangerous? You know, sometimes devotees feel that it's actually dangerous to act what? out of inspiration as opposed to um, act with simply within rules, that rules make it safe and inspiration makes it dangerous. So um, maybe if you could just <laughs> yeah on, on the actuality of danger. And, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole lecture, Dr. Teresa, and we are one hour and a half and one hour and a half now, but yeah, a few words in the actuality of danger. <laughs> yeah, I think we we if, if that's the case, which which is in many in many instances, I think it's good that we we give ourselves some time to to ask ourselves, okay, if I feel that limiting myself to follow the rules is safe why why do i feel that why do i feel it's safe to do that what's the safety it provides and why do i feel that it's dangerous to be inspired which is the risk the potential risk of being inspired i mean i i think it's healthy for ourselves to unpack the implications of our beliefs so to say um which many times are just beliefs. Again, limiting beliefs, <laughs> not actual realities. Because the purpose, I mean, I'm not against rules, as we know, but actually what we have to connect is the purpose of the rule is to be inspired. And you accept the rule because you have been inspired. Generally, you won't, have accept, you won't accept the rule if you were not inspired to accept the rule in the first place. So I, I hope nobody paid you to follow four regulative principles. Somehow you got some inspiration without have, without even following any rule, probably. You got some initial inspiration. And, and that initial inspiration took you to open yourself and trust and receive further input, in this case from a Vaishnav, let's say, and rules came to your life. <laughs> uh, and you embraced them out of inspiration. So if you embrace a rule out of inspiration, the point is that rule should take you to further inspiration. It's not a, I was so inspired that I embraced this rule and no more inspiration now. I'm terrified about being inspired now. It's like, what? But you started following those rules out of inspiration. So how does it make sense that it all began with inspiration and ended up in the exact opposite? It's not that's that was not the spirit of the rule. Again, there's the law and the spirit of the law, so to say. So every time we follow a rule, we have to be very careful about again, if not, it's niyama graha, the true Goswami says you are following the rule for the sake of following the rule. And sometimes it ends up being a belonging system, so to say, I have to follow the rules to be part of the tribe. I have to follow the rule to be labeled as a nice boy and as a nice girl. I have to be followed the rule because if not, this and this and this happens. So many times we follow the rule just out of fear of being ostracized because unfortunately some systems and some groups uh, work operate in that way. You follow the rule you are in, you stop following the rule you are out. So you continue following the rule just because of being terrified of not belonging. Uh, 
But as we say, that's fitting in. That's not belonging. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think we we need to to always keep up with the spirit of the law. Every rule has a has a spirit, so to say, has a, an as an essential inspiration, so to say, that has to to be contacted with. I'm following this rule to go deeper into my inspiration, not to get farther away from my inspiration. If that's not happening, I have to recalibrate my my whole approach to the idea of rules. Again, I'm not having a problem with rules. They're okay. But rules have to facilitate, not to constrict. Like the rules of the game, I always give that example. Every game has rules. If you want to play a game, there are rules. But the rules are meant to facilitate the experience of the game, to make it exciting and inspiring, not to feel suffocated that I cannot do anything. But if we want to play, I don't know, basketball, there are some rules. Now The ball has to enter into the basket. You cannot play with your feet uh, and, and this and this rule. and the, Because if you do whatever you want, you take the, the ball and you just jump into the water and start swimming with the ball. That's not basketball. So there's no game at all. We cannot play. So there are rules that we have to follow. And in the perimeter of the rules, excitement can happen. Now, wonder, amazement, enjoyment has to happen in the perimeter of some rules. So rules are to just contextualized excitement. Let's put it like that. <laughs> the purpose of rules is just to give a perimeter for wonder and amazement and inspiration. If not, the rules are not bearing their purpose, basically. Mm -hmm. So the, in the same way, as we are given the example of a play of a game, life is play, ultimately. Life is Lila. <laughs> so there are rules to play. There are rules, but the purpose of rules is to facilitate the inner experience, the nourishing, the chamatkar, the astonishment, the wonder, the growth, the evolution. If not, it's not that the rule is bad, but we may be having a, toxic, out-of-date approach to the rule. Mm -hmm. And we may mistake playing the game with only following the rule, so to say. So the, the following the rule is to facilitate the experience of the game. It's not the game itself. You follow my point? You can follow the rules of the game. It doesn't mean that you are playing the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. You have to play the game in the context of following the rules. Something else has to be happening while following the rules. It's not just about merely following the rules. You are not participating yet. We are not being participants of the game. So yeah, the rules are there to give that context, to facilitate something more, which has to happen. If it's not happening, and especially if it's not happening in the name of following the rules, there we are misconstruing quite a lot there <laughs> so and, and that can happen again the potential is there for this form of niyamagraha so we need to take some time to re-examine those things to see it to talk to share to have dialogue and to find a place where we can really learn and have space and liberty and freedom to to be inspired without yeah and, and sometimes sometimes the saying goes Sometimes even we have to break some rules mm -hmm. to, to be inspired. Sometimes it can happen as the saying goes, 
Only those who follow the rules know when to break them. <laughs> that can happen. Like music, for example. I've studied some music in my teenage years. So if you as a musician play a song, let's say you're playing jazz, and you have to, there's improvisation in jazz. So there are certain, I mean, improvisation doesn't mean you do whatever you want. Because some people mistake that. You think, oh, improvisation, the drummer and the guitar player and the piano player just start to do whatever they want. No, that's not improvisation. There are some parameters of rhythm and melody. And on those parameters, they do whatever they like, but paying attention to whatever else is doing also. Tadatmya, empathy. <laughs> but even in some cases, if you are like, and I'm talking about just high-class musician, and there are many examples of that. I remember seeing one video once of John Coltrane. He was a very famous uh, jazz player, a lob supreme. <laughs> and once he was playing something, he was improvising, and at one point he played the wrong note. So he broke the rule, so to say. He was playing in a, in a certain pattern of melody, and he went beyond that without his intention. He transgressed the melodic pattern, but he was such a genius that he started to create a whole new melodic pattern on the basis of the wrong note. And, 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 and he created another layer dimension of the composition, starting with something wrong, which of course it was not wrong at the end. So my point is he broke the rule to embrace something higher and deeper. <laughs> so in some cases also, we may have to break some rules to embrace a higher rule. Ultimately, the ultimate rule is love. Love rules. <laughs> so love makes its own rules. In order to love more, sometimes we have to break all rules, some rules. The gopis in Vrindavan, in one sense, they are breaking so many rules <laughs> for the sake of love, not for the sake of breaking the rules. So we shouldn't follow the rules for the sake of following the rules. And we should not break the rules for the mere sake of breaking the rules. We are not anarchists, rebels without a cause, <laughs> but we shouldn't go to the other extreme of just following the rules, we, just for following the rules. We have to get to the, the actual point of it, following the rules for the sake of love, the nourishing of love, the nourishing of inspiration. And, and whatever nourishes that, that becomes my new rule, so to say. That becomes a new standard, <laughs> since we are talking about standards. Love creates its own standards at every single moment. Do you think in Golok Vrindavan there's some fixed standard? <laughs> Krishna's changing standard at every flute playing he makes. <laughs> uh, he's the Acharya, he's the flute Acharya, and he sets the standard at every single moment. He's changing that, and everyone is willing to adjust and follow it accordingly. So we are preparing here for that. So we must follow accordingly. Now, some thoughts. Thank you so much for the further uh, turning, Bhaktarasa, in this connection. It was a nice session today. And I think we can con conclude here, almost two hours. So I think we have some further digesting and processing, hopefully, throughout the week. And uh, we'll see you next Saturday. Thursday, Wednesday is Nityananda Triodasi also, right? At least here in respect to countries, maybe different day, but 
wish you happy Nityananda Triodasi, and hopefully we can meditate on many things we talk today in connection to someone like Nityananda Prabhu, who is a very uh, interesting personality in this connection in terms of rules and eccentricity and overflowing of unconditional love and so on and so forth. And the guru is supposed to be a representative of such personality. And we are supposed to be a representative of guru. So <laughs> very important reflections that came today as a preface uh, in anticipation of the appearance day of Sri Nityananda Prabhu. So, Sri Nityananda Prabhu ki jai, Sri Man Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai, Sri Sri Gornityananda ki jai, Sri Sri Gaur Gadadar ju ki jai, Gaur Bhaktavrind ki jai, Gaur Primanand Hari Hari Bhoom, Vancha Kalpataruvyasya, Kripa Sindhu Phyayi Vacha, Patitanam Pavane Pyo Vashna Vibhyo Namon, Anant Koti Vashna Vrind ki jai.